Welcome back to another Alignment Discussion podcast broadcast of Conscious Creators. I am your host, Asher Gray. I'm here with Tim O today. Hi. Dude, this is Tim's very first time ever being exposed to anything Conscious Creator related. Yes, that's true. And um, part of the reason, well, Tim has been a guest on the Godshot podcast yeah, that's a couple true. of times. And so he has a Two little bit of... Yeah. Um, uh, well, we have a little bit of a history, and at least he knows I'm not some crazy person or whatever. That's and so, true. what I'm or doing, I know how crazy you are, right? But I'm not the kind of <laughs> I'm like, I'm not the selling pencils at the airport crazy. That's true. I'm like the yeah. oh wow, like goofy kind of. Crazy. I'm the one selling the pencils at the airport. How much? How, how much? <laughs> how kidding. much you sell them for? What's up? Uh, fifty cents a pop. Bro, that's undercutting my market. I got them for a dollar in the lobby. You can't do that. So um, we're starting a new series of these. They're Q&A um, alignment discussions that basically are inviting folks in who have zero exposure to the conscious creator process. And we're just going to read the introductory thing. And then what I'm inviting Tim to do is for him to just go, what the fuck? Like That's true. ask questions. What does that mean, bro? What are you trying to say there? And so, cause right now we're okay. putting together the final edition of the, the first book. There's three books. So okay. we're putting together the triad of awareness book and it's pretty in depth and it, um, uh, and it basically, um, <clears throat> That's the awareness triad. Okay. So, but let's go ahead and just dive in right in. So basically our purpose as conscious creators is to uh, fulfill fundamental human needs and guide others who have a desire and willingness to do the same. And those needs, Tim, are security, which is the need to be free from the fear of imagined danger or threat. It's connection, the need to share a sustained feeling of affinity with others community, the need to relate and collaborate with others in a way that brings about mutual fulfillment, fulfillment of these needs. Okay. Intimacy, the need to share a sincere and authentic connection with another person. Communication, which is the need to share or exchange thoughts, feelings, and desires with one another. Creative expression, Hammy the Hamburger, <laughs> is the need to bring something new into existence through deliberate and um, inspired action. Okay. Sensation is the need to physically feel, especially authentic human emotions, not to be dissociated or numbed out from our emotions. Progression is the need to develop gradually towards a more desired aim or state of being, to see ourselves progressing towards something, okay. not to feel stuck and anxious because we don't feel like we're going anywhere. And then the final need is the need for reflection, which is the need to engage in careful thought with consideration of what we call conscious insight, which is spiritual insights. So we're not just, um, it's a kind of thought where we're basically reflecting and then we're sitting in like a meditative thought space where we can gain insight from what we call GPS. So in this particular process, and they call it a higher power in 12 steps, this is called GPS. It's a greater power or perspective than self. So we're able to tap into this perspective as we do the process. Now, a little bit, we're just going to read this last little part and then we'll dive right in. Our process is outlined in these following measures. Number one, we recognize habit patterns that undermine our purpose. What's our purpose as conscious creators? Um, I to, don't know. To help fulfill fundamental <laughs> needs, these needs right here. Oh, yeah, okay. So any habit pattern that undermines our ability to nurture these needs is self-defeating. Any habit pattern 
yeah, have a pattern of thought or action, like a survival pattern. We call them, and, and this is great because you have a 12-step background. So we would call those defects of character in the program. Mm -hmm. So these are defects of character. These habit patterns keep us locked in fear and actually keep us disconnected from that spiritual insight. Does that make sense? A little bit. A little bit. Okay, cool. So then, um, so we're basically, uh, we recognize habit patterns that undermine our purpose. We gain awareness of those self-defeating habit patterns. We acknowledge the limitations of those habit patterns. And then we move into the second triad where we begin cultivating a curious and receptive mind. Then we accept the possibility of new life-affirming experiences. And then we bring our perspective into alignment with our purpose. And then the final triad, it, it says that we commit to acting upon the insights of a conscious and creative mind. Uh, that's a very different than an unconscious and fear-driven mind. So uh, we create space by releasing what no longer serves us. And finally, we consciously create new life-affirming experiences. So this, the way of the conscious creator is a spiritual practice. After achieving physical sobriety, many in recovery find that their established habit patterns or defects of character diminish the quality of their recovery and increase their chances of relapse. In order to sustain, to me, yeah. yeah. In order to sustain conscious contact with that greater power than self, recovering addicts need to become responsible for the mental, emotional, and spiritual effects of these underlying patterns. Can I stop patterns. you right here, or Please. do you have to keep reading? Well, there's one more paragraph, and okay. then you can just jump right in. So we practice these meditative mantras to help the trauma-affected mind become open to new life-affirming possibilities. Our spiritual practice mitigates the effects of self-defeating habit patterns. Much like chemotherapy can shrink tumors or medication can make a virus undetectable. This creates the mental space to reconnect with a greater power than self over time. And this practice helps us to overcome our intellectual resistance to this higher power through a direct personal experience with it. That's it. Okay. Jump right in. So, I'm Tim. I'm an alcoholic. What up, Tim? Um, so... I was just thinking while you were reading that, what is a specific, like specifically, give me an example of what, I'm trying to think, what you just read by uh, a self-defeating habit pattern. One second. I'll be right back. <laughs> okay. So in a self-defeating habit pattern, the ones that are oh, in wow, the, this okay. is the rough draft of the, uh, the, the oh, wow, book. Cool. So that would be uh, maintaining a perspective that's, I feel, ungrateful and entitled, um, being unable to give. And so, if you, you're, so if you feel ungrateful and entitled, that would be a self-defeating habit pattern? Well, it, if, if you're trying to maintain uh, a loving loving per conscious like if you're trying to live in love and truth rather okay. than fear and control mm -hmm. if you're trying to live in fear and control then it probably might be optimal to be ungrateful and feel entitled <laughs> to things okay so but here's these are the ones when i went through the process these are the ones that i identified as being and when i say self-defeating it's something that undermines my purpose and welfare okay so my purpose is to love and to create and, and, you know, do creatively expressive and have intimate connections and have community, do all these things right here. Mm -hmm. And so if there's a pattern, if like smoking meth and jacking off to porn, that's a self-defeating habit example. pattern yeah. because I can't live in community or have intimate connection or be creatively expressive. When so I'm, go ahead. We, we mixed 
the meth. You and I personally. Yes. Too. Uh, and uh, and others. Um, and so a, a, a self-defeating pattern may be continuing the porn. Mm-hmm. Am I correct? Well, th- that would be number nine here on the list, which is basically um, regulating our emotional well-being with addictive mechanisms. Okay. So it could be porn, it could be whatever, but we're regulating our emotions through dissociating and attaching to things like meth and porn and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. as opposed to human and spiritual connection. Okay. So... So in in your life, what... Um, What's an example of something that's kept coming up despite dropping like some of the major ones like hard drugs, you know, pharmaceutical drugs and or whatever you want uh, and, uh, um, you know, porn or something like what's it like? Like, for example, if you're trying to connect, if we're we're trying to connect, Mm -hmm. what would your mind what's something that you would go to like? You know, that would be that, that that's a little less rough than that stuff or a little less forward. Do you know what I mean? Well, well um, OK, well, first of all, the like the fundamental thing about this particular process okay. is we're not learning to cope with. Okay. We're overcoming and we're just basically creating like we're basically uh, we're increasing our vibration above all that. And we're just we're able we're able to do connect we're able to like connect and express and do those things uh, differently. Because what we what this process does is it goes in like read these read these patterns on on that list. Like what's one that stands out to you? Like when you read through the thing, one that's maybe particularly troublesome. I'm a slow to you. <laughs> yeah, take your so, time. Yeah, um, I mean, I I I often do feel ungrateful and and entitled. Uh, no, really, take your time, even if it's a minute, and go through it, and then find one that you think's like, "Bam!" That's really, I'm really struggling with that one. Okay, and I'm actually going to pause this and I'll start it up. And go for it. Okay. Um. So I'm just reading through um, the first draft of this book that Asher just handed to me. It's a thick book, by mm-hmm. the way. Jesus, you put a lot of work into this. Um, how long has this book been? Uh, in the works. We've been developing this process for about 15 years now. Jesus. And who's we? We would be myself, higher power. Uh, I have an editing partner, my baby mama. There's like, there was probably, we did like 400 meetings here at Pathfinders prior to the pandemic. And there was probably you know, hundreds of people that came through that offered 400 specific meetings. Conscious creator meetings. Okay. Yeah. And so there's been a lot of people. So that's why there's no one particular name on, name on it. Oh, it's because right. there's a lot of this was actually brought to my attention through years of like living in the underworld of human consciousness, like being a tweaker, living on this, like I love that. seeing yeah. the different ways that the, that we were living in that, like, it's almost like, we would be in a dissociated state in our trauma avatar, creating this virtual reality, not participating in our shared reality. So a trauma avatar, Mm -hmm. what is that? It's like our unconscious identity. So I can pull the trauma avatar reading down right here. And then you ask me questions. So try to imagine the trauma avatar as a character that we formed in response to previous experiences. It's much like a mask or a persona, and it helps us to interface with the fearful world and also cope with the absence of love. So it has an identity. It's, so, built, it's built upon beliefs. So I want to break this down. Go for it. Um, so last time I was on a podcast with you, 
um, we were talking about how my parents personally uh, split up and also Ken's, I believe, not to name names, but yeah, yep. um, just another fellow, um, split up when we were 12. Um, so, and I remember that night very specifically, although I don't have a lot of recollection about my childhood, which is weird because I had a really good childhood, I think. Until uh, that point. Yeah, until that point. Yeah. I mean, and even that, that it, you know, in, in comparison, I, it, it's probably not that bad, but, um, but anyway, but that moment was pretty rough. Yeah. That moment is pretty yeah, rough. Yeah. 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 Okay. So it's good. You can make that distinction because some people just throw the baby out the bathwater and say it was all terrible after that, but you are able to recognize there was, we had a good, you had a good run going on for a oh, while, yeah. but then it just got nasty for a little bit there when, cause they were detaching. Yeah. So really how to do that. So then do you think that I might have created a trauma avatar that night? In moments such as that, that moment. in responses to both trauma and neglect, the childhood mind tends to make decisions. Okay. And they tend to break those they, they tend to decide one of two things, which is touched upon in the attachment addiction pamphlet. They either decide the world's fucked up. And they must do things to protect themselves or somehow they're at fault and they're fucked up and they need protection. Okay. Well, that's an example. It's maybe not specifically, but you walked away from that experience, not fully formed as an adult with your limited understanding with no one next to you to say, get you back in your body and calm you down and help yeah. you re, you know, get back, you know, in your body basically. So you I walked see. away deciding something. And in that decision moment, you created a pattern. A behavior. Maybe it was avoiding people who yell at you. Maybe it was like if you see a well, what was it? You saw you see a certain thing start to break out in front of you. You might turn away from it, or you might have a really uh, irrational response to anything that resembles that moment. Definitely, with with my siblings, I do notice that. Like one of my brothers, not to name name, but he knows he's like this. He's in the program, but he gets really like my 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 mom was a uh, she's passed away now, but she was a manic depressive. And every time that anybody starts to act manic in his mind, mm -hmm. and I, I do this too sometimes, uh, we like, you know, start to just kind of, especially him, though, um, starts to kind of judge and kind of pull away. I, and I can see him doing that for me. Like when I come to him with anything that might be like an extraordinary idea. Oh, like I was just excited with yeah. like that childhood, yeah, exactly. like excitement, and exactly. he'll he'll interpret that as you being manic. Yeah. And, okay. He'll be like, "Oh, you're talking nonsense," or like, you know, which oh, invalidates you. Meaning or some, you know, yeah. which kind of invalidates you. Yeah. Because you're just excited, like with that kid-like excitement. <laughs> yeah. Which I know you have. I mean, I can see that. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Okay, that's a really good example. <laughs> so he, because basically that just meant, oh, mom's getting crazy again. Uh, yeah, that's what I, yeah, I, I do. No, definitely. Okay. And we've discussed this a little bit too. He knows he's like that, and and he gets like that with his like like take it for example his. Uh, Can I intervene your, just real quick and then hold that? Because mm -hmm. in that moment where you let's say for example you're bringing something to someone and he you love each other, and it, the second one in here is real. It, it it touches upon that, so he's unable to give or receive love. So in that moment, what he does is he braces up against your excitement. And he projects this thing on you that you're being manic and you're acting like mom now. Yeah. <laughs> and there's no way for him to receive the love and excitement you're giving to him. And so that in turn makes you walk away feeling invalidated and unlovable. Yeah. It's, and so that's the, you know, un that's, un that's, that's power pattern number two. Keep going. That's pattern number two. That's the number two on the list is unable to give or receive love. We, re so we push love away. We deflect it. We right. can't receive love. People who are constantly okay. like, 
going from place to place or people to people or sociopaths or narcissists, a good word. Mm -hmm. They're unable to receive love. They mm -hmm. can't let it in. They're too guarded. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah. Sort of like not to get all grim and weird, but uh, to go to an example, like who's that serial killer? Uh, yeah, sorry. it's okay. Actually, um, let me, let me report my coffee real quick. One. Go for it. We'll just keep recording. In fact, I have a lot of examples of people in my life who I feel do that kind that's a similar kind of thing like I also have friends here not to name names but I only really have two friends outside of AA here <laughs> and uh um but no I mean just to name yeah to, to name something that like people will do here I, I feel like too is like so we live in Hollywood everybody's trying to do their thing and People can become very dismissive of like creative things unless until until they're like you know um, until they're real you know. Which um, is fine. What you mean by that? Be real specific. Like until okay. what's real? Well, uh, until like something like until something gets popular or like like for until example, they're known. Yeah, until, until it's known. like something that's important. Or people exactly. validate the ego. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Or like, I mean, I, yeah. So to name friends, like, like I, I have a couple friends who are like burnt out writers, basically, you know, and and just don't really pursue anything creative anymore. Yeah. And they like they kind and then they become kind of like curmudgeons and and hate Cynicism. you. Yeah, they get really cynical of, yes. of you doing anything creative or anything like you know to try to better your own life. And, um, yeah, and it, it's, it's just kind of a, it's kind of a bummer to be around. Right. You know what I mean? I, I, I kind of hate it when people are like that. And so what conscious creators is saying is that little by little growing up and evolving and having these, these, having these, uh, repetitive interactions with the people in our lives, we begin to cultivate an idea about love and our concept of love the love that we're willing to give and receive the one that we're comfortable with the one that's familiar to us usually lacks has little resemblance to love's true nature spiritual love it's like fear and love it's like fear yeah. and need for control with love yeah and so there's this like and then these people right if like for example an example i like to use is like my mom was an alcoholic and she was totally emotionally unavailable and, okay. and all over the place until i was seven so that hardwired me to seek people who are unavailable and kind of ignore or deflect people who were available. Okay. Is that, and so like if you were brought up in an environment where people were just kind of like, let's say for example, one of your parents had a creative thing that they never really embraced or did. Yeah. It makes them cynical. And then all of a sudden for the rest of our lives, we're surrounding ourselves with these naysayers who are yeah, just kind of like, true. It does kind of make you cause it and conditions us like to, that, yeah. so cause it conditions us to love in the way that we learned to love. Even if that love's not fulfilling and it doesn't nurture us and it's not nourishing. Right. Okay. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Because it's familiar. So more about the uh, re this recording and, and trying to get to know 
so I don't know anything about this. So like what, so what's the point of, of, of all this? And is like, you have all these pamphlets in a book, like it's a practice. It's a practice. It's a, it's a concrete practice. Okay. Like so, sort of like, it, this is uh, more of a program to reprogram the brain to start to, um, when I say this for the people who are at home, I'm looking at the 12 steps on the wall. And the 12 steps to me, and this is just my interpretation of it, is helping the addict to live by spiritual principles so that they can abstain from whatever addiction was making their lives hmm. unmanageable. Okay. And in, in, in that being, you know, in, in, that, in that sober, you know, that state of prolonged sobriety, gradually things start to fall away. Like gradually over right. 10 or 15 years in sobriety, hopefully if someone's on the spiritual path and they're growing along spiritual lines, little by little, these patterns start to fill in or go away. But oftentimes what happens in AA or any of the 12 step programs is these habit patterns are never really intervened upon and they're never, there's never anything that overrides them and they get worse and worse and worse. And so conscious creators is saying that drugs and alcohol is not the progressive disease, the progressive disease are these habitual ways of thinking and acting over and over again okay. that keep us in fear and keep us invalidating ourselves and keep us like limiting our ability to have a spiritual and human connection with I each see, other. yeah okay so it's sort of like almost like yeah it's a yeah it's not really like defining it specifically like oh drug addiction or sex addiction or oh no it does right here okay. so like attachment addiction <laughs> We view addiction as a type of attachment disorder. And so we want right there, we want to make the distinction between someone who's attached to a meth pipe and connected to a loved one. Connection and attachment are different. If I'm attached to an idea about myself, if I'm attached to this identity I have, that then the identity sees the world as a scary place or me as being a victim in it, I have an attachment to that identity. And that identity keeps me in fear. And it limits my ability to connect to, to spiritual love and truth. It limits my ability to be whole within myself because I'm in fear and I'm, I'm attached to that persona. So does that make sense? A little bit. Yeah. Ask a question that would make it more clear for you. Um, what did you hear I'm me just, just say? Um, just the difference between connection and, and attachment. Okay. So then like survivors of trauma and neglect, have trouble establishing and maintaining healthy bonds. So maybe after that night when you were 12, okay. it was a little bit harder for you to establish and maintain healthy bonds with yeah. people because you knew the capacity for quote unquote human evil. Yeah. You knew what humans were capable of in a way that maybe you were naive to before. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. and so that had to be taken into account moving forward. So like my father was emotionally abusive to me and I always wanted his approval. I, I, want, I was an artist and a musician, but he wanted me to be a cop and a military guy. And I, you know, I wanted his approval so hard. I went and joined the military and became a police officer yeah, in the know. Gulf War. I was a cop in the Navy. Really? Yeah. How out of character is that? That's but crazy. I needed his approval. You so were bad. I was a master at arms in the United States Navy. No way. Really? Yeah. yeah. During the first Gulf War, 91 to 93. What? How old are you? 48. Oh, you're 48? Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Damn, but, you don't look 48. Thank you. It's all the math. <laughs> yeah. But, um, and so, for example, so attachment addiction results from our struggles to sustain physical, emotional, and spiritual closeness. You're 20 years older than me. Yeah. You're, you're even more than I'm 33, so. No, I'm 15 years. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 I knew I know do well 
math. <laughs> I know do math good. Um, it's okay. Yeah. So wait, tell me about that a little bit. So, um, for for the listen for the listeners, because that's in- interesting stuff, and to give an idea a, a for it, yeah. about you. So so tell me about that. So with what so. I had an art show one day. Okay. I was in high school and I was not doing well grades wise because I had. Um, Where did was, you go to school? In Fairfax, Virginia. Okay. So, but I had this one man art show, and um, that particular day, I had to put all my art that I'd been working on for like four years. And I was a good artist, but like, I had this thing already. I had this idea about myself that I was no good, and you know, I just kind of hated myself yeah, a little bit. Yeah. And so I was very insecure doing my show, and I was afraid to put the art up. And I was kind of hyper focused on the person who might invalidate it, you know. And I was, I would, I would overlook uh, the twenty five people who said, "Oh, your art's really good," and kind of focus on the one person that was like, "Eh," <laughs> kind of like with the women. There could be twenty girls who wanted to date me, but yeah. the one that was kind of like, "Eh," I would focus on that one because mm. it reminded me of my mom. And I was always trying to get my mom to love me. And so, anyway, so at the I, it was just uncomfortable. So I had some beer stored in my my uh fort out back of my house so i pounded a couple beers drove in did my thing had a couple more at lunch and i had this art teacher that year that was very much like trying to get me to join go to enroll in school he wanted me to go to savannah school of art design he wanted Uh me to go to like the design institute and saying and i just didn't believe i could do it yeah and at the end i was drunk and the show had i'd gone to the dark side i had succumbed to my emerging trauma avatar and all i could see was that everyone around me was a threat i was a liability like that cane energy came out and i was just like fuck everything you know what i mean and i was angry and i'm not quite sure what triggered it but when he came up to me i made sure to like hurt him so bad that he would never try to help me again because the art teacher yeah because he was an older man and i equated older men being people who are emotionally abusive like my father Mm -hmm. and i was raised by two women who hated men okay and so i was raised to hate men like myself and so any man who tried to help me i was leery of and I got drunk. I threw all my art in the car and went out to the Navy recruiter station drunk oh. and joined the military. Oh, wow. And six weeks later, I was in. How old were you? 17. 17. Yeah, I had to get my parents' approval. Uh. And then I was in the military boot camp and then I was out on two different aircraft carriers in the Gulf. How long were you? Did you serve for? Two years. Two years? I got out early. I applied for early out. Oh, wow. And then you became a cop? I was a cop in the Navy. Oh, you were yeah, a cop yeah. in the Navy. Yeah, I was a master at arms. Huh. Yeah. On the second boat, I was master at arms. The first one, I was a bosun's mate. Uh, and so I was. I checked into the master at arms shack. On so did you have to spend a lot of time underwater in subs or not? No subs. I, I was above on I've aircraft heard, carriers and I've stuff. I heard that, that could be damaging psychologically to be in a sub. Really? Yeah. You never heard that? Well, I know. It's kind of weird being on yeah, a boat. Just probably kind of weird. Yeah. I don't Yeah. Um... So then you got out and uh, you applied to get out early and then you got out and then where, and then what did you do? I I mean, I went to California. Okay. And uh, I flew out of Hong Kong. Oh, wow. Yeah. I had this dream. It was weird. I was in the, I was doing roving patrol one night on the Kitty Hawk and I used to go up to this O3 bathroom and sleep because I had the 12 to 8 a.m. shift. So I would just pass out in the toilet oh, three bathroom what's that it's like the level there's levels on the boat okay so this was like an officer's level but since i was a cop while walking around i would go into one of the officer's bathrooms and lock the door <laughs> and then take a nap because i was fucking tired and on this particular i had been praying really hard i was like you know oh god this is done for me like i i came in here because i wanted a certain thing and now i want to 
grow my hair out and be a musician and I want to do the things I wanted to do. I don't know why I did this. I, by that point, I'd been around the world twice and it was wow. cool. I got to travel and there's a lot of benefits to it. Yeah. But I was just like, I'm done. Please help me. You know what I mean? Then I was praying every night to that. And then this night I went into the O3 bathroom, I shut the door and in walks the communications officer. And um, there's a, there's a, a, a ops, some kind of ops. There's people on the bridge. They, they receive the telegrams and then there, there's something that like helps with uh, like all the operations and the communications. Those officers came in because the bathroom's kind of close to the bridge and they started talking to each other about the early out program. They just got this telegram in the, in the, through the wire and that they're not going to offer it to any of the enlisted people till we're out of the Gulf. But mm-hmm. I happened to be in the bathroom listening to this. Oh, and so I went down That's to crazy. that guy's office the next day and I said, I'd like to apply for the early out. And he's like, how wow. do you know about that? And I was like, well, let's just say a bird in the O3 bathroom told me last night. <laughs> and he was like, what? And I was like, yeah, I have because they have to let me apply. It's like I know about it. And that was the first time I really advocated for myself. And so I advocated for myself. It was really uncomfortable because I'm an enlisted guy basically forcing these people to abide by the rules, even though the captain of that boat had said no early out for, you know, that they were going to postpone it like 40 days till we were out of the Gulf and then let people know because they didn't want to deal with all the people applying for early out. So then my telegram came in and I was flown out in Hong Kong. Wow. Yeah. You were flown out in Hong Kong? They flew me from Hong Kong. And to LAX. Oh, really? Direct flight. And then you just never left LA? Oh, yeah. I went back home to Virginia one last time. Okay. And I was like, nah. Okay. Go ahead and finish your thing. Finish what thing? Well, you were asking me a question before. Oh, yeah. um, Yeah. So just real quick. So you flew from Hong Kong to here and then went back to Virginia. Mm -hmm. And then what? I uh, was there for the summer and then drove out to San Diego with my best friend from high school. And we oh, had okay. in Ocean Beach for like a year. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Ocean Beach? And that's when I met my ex, Vivian, and her best friend's boyfriend was like the biggest ecstasy dealer in San Diego. Really? So then I started selling ecstasy. So I went from like a cop in the Navy to selling ecstasy. Wow. And within like you know two years was in jail for that. That's cool. Oh, really? You were in jail? Yeah. Really? Yeah. For two years for selling it? No, no, it wasn't quite that easy. It was, it was, um, I got busted and then the person that was like in charge of all that, like basically decided that he was going to, um, tamper with like, cause we're all co-defendants. And so he was basically rolling the dice and deciding that he was going to pay someone leaving, uh, MCC San Diego, which is where he was locked up. Uh, his boyfriend or someone, one of them, and they were going to basically um, have me and this other co-defendant killed. Wow, really? And so then when they found out, but that person set them up. And so when that person found out that, um, when that person uh, got paid, he went to the feds and set those guys up to get a lighter sentence, to oh. get off probation, to work okay. with them. And so then they framed him. And then instead of getting busted for the drugs, he got busted for two counts of attempted murder on co-defendants. Wow. And then they deported him. But I just felt so, that was like the trauma. That was like a huge, because uh, I, 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 I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Mm-hmm. And I was really scared when I got busted. Yeah, and I, I had... Uh, I didn't know how to handle all those situations. And um, I was, you know, I I made some decisions there throughout that process that I never really forgave myself for. 
until much later. I had another opportunity come up about a decade later where I was presented almost with the same situation. And that at that point, I was able to just say, whatever, I'm going to basically when I got busted, I was like, all right, I'm going to basically I'm going to tell on this guy because what had happened and the way it went down, I knew that basically that person had decided to not have my best interest in mind. He knew that there was a really good job possibility that the person that was meeting me was being followed by the police and kind of put me up for whatever. And so I was really resentful at him for that. And I didn't, uh, and I was scared. So I ended up being like, yeah, I got it from that dude. And then from there, um, which he later forgave for, he, he, he knew like mm -hmm. he, it wasn't like one of those things, but I beat myself up over it. Mm. And then I let my family down and like, mm. you know, I come from like, just like a weird, like middle-class, like wasp, Northern America, Northern Virginia thing. It wasn't like, and it was just like one of those things that like, I literally hated myself and punished myself. So I didn't go to jail on that charge. I got probation from that, but because I was so, it really like did something where I was now like really, really, um, out of control with my drugs and alcohol okay. and partying in a way that I wasn't partying before because um, of the guilt I felt for getting busted. And the more drugs I did, then I just became more lost. And then I became kind of like this, almost like an avatar. Like I was like the Rob G party guy with like the bleach blonde hair and the earrings. And it was just <laughs> like, Oh yeah, no. And it was, I mean, it was, there was a lot of fun wrapped up in that, but it yeah. was definitely, um, you know, that evolved to, you know, me slamming meth every day in San Francisco and, you know, really dark stuff happening. When, when were you in uh, San Francisco? What, what, what year was that? What, I mean, the first time the was after I got, well, then that's the part. So then I ended up doing, I think a year and a half on probation violations because I kept violating my probation, like going to Vegas to marry a stripper girlfriend or like getting busted wow. on the news. Uh, overdosing on GHB, like Jesus. swan diving into a sand, sand uh, like there was this Christian wow, sand. Really? Yeah, there was like this Christian sandcastle building competition in Pacific Beach, and it was like Labor Day weekend, and I had like twenty hits of ecstasy, and I like literally like swan died <laughs> over this like sand sculpture, like Christian sand sculpture, and so I woke up and it was like I was I, I escaped out of the back of the ambulance, and that I basically familiar. Huh. yeah, and I like basically just took off because I didn't want to pay. And then I went home and passed out. And then like two, like almost a day later, I woke up and we had answering machines in that day. So all these people were like, what the fuck? And apparently I was on KUSI, like the beach and surf report. Wow. And they're like, everyone's having a fun time on Labor Day except this fucking dickhead. <laughs> and they show me like with my deadhead tattoo, all beat up, like 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 passing out on really? GHB. Jesus. Covered in sand, like with like in, in my probation officer. Saw it. So she oh, called really? me in for a piss test and oh, then I wow. failed. Yeah. So I was like, so I did like 16 months in violations, uh, out of guilt and shame for what had happened. Wow. So that's nuts. Yep. So that's do have, kind of, do you know where the footage of that is? No, no, no there's no footage of that. That'd be crazy. Man. Um, so go on. Yeah. Let's redirect it back to, but that's kind of where my avatar started going. And then I was just like, I had to do the drugs in order to. Well, the cool thing about the drugs were back in those days was that like I was so locked down in like my anxiety and stuff from my early childhood that I took the drugs and it allowed me to be kind of like a Normal. different person. 
Yeah. yeah, for a long time, that was kind of like I could take the drugs and not care in mm-hmm. the same way, which I'm sure you can relate with. Yeah. Not only not care, but connect with people. Yeah. Because I didn't have this like psychic yeah. pollution in my brain that was telling me that it was dangerous or that I wasn't yeah. worthy of it. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. And so. Yeah, see, I personally, I know for those listening, I know what you're talking about, but um, I just haven't put it into like in terms of the conscious creators thing, like I know what you're talking about, I think where like even in sobriety, which I see and I feel like a lot of people see as like the penultimate of like spirituality and everything. Even sometimes with that, I still feel locked in a certain kind of, I don't know, like I can't, can't, I still can't connect to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I feel like drugs actually help me connect with people like you were saying right um in the past that they have but it's just too many consequences with it um that you know too many side effects um and uh so i know what you're talking about i just like i wonder how you're 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 such a smart you're you're a very smart guy and you kind of move really quickly so i mm-hmm. think you expect that other people no no i have no expectations <laughs> no but like you, you know what i mean like unconsciously you're just moving so fast mm-hmm. that it's hard to keep up with you. Ah, that's well, that's the saying. point of these things. So I'm learning because the whole, my whole job now at this point mm-hmm. is I, I'm not, I don't want to seem smart. I want to seem accessible. I want to seem helpful. So I need, I'm not doing anything I'm doing moving forward from this point. Cause I've actually been doing this practice and I have been liberated so, to, I've never been more authentic and like real and like here and, um, and all those experiences that I went through, in the past when I was kind of locked into that trauma avatar, I mean, I was just doing the best I could. I was just trying to survive. I, I, I mean, I've hurt a lot of people and that's the thing is like, I didn't realize that cause you would call me maybe a self saboteur. There's so many times I pulled the rug out from underneath myself when there was like a lot of creative recognition coming at me mm. or there was an opportunity for like a, a loving relationship with some woman or, mm. you know, creative success. And I would just like pull the rug out from myself because that part of me was trying to protect me in itself. And it did so insanely. It looks like self-sabotage, but I'm actually just insanely protecting myself because if I believe that I'm not worthy of love and that I'm incapable. Well, if there's responsibility and there's love coming at me, and if I am able to be responsible and loving, well, then those beliefs are no longer accurate. They're invalidated. And then that avatar is no longer in control. And that avatar doesn't want to die. So the point of this Mm. is like, you know, we can let our trauma avatar transform as we transform our ideas rather than having to die with our avatar and its ideas that are self defeating. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the whole point is now is just like, okay, how, how can I put this in concrete terms? Cause basically yeah. a good place to start is like, do you know the difference between say, for example, reaction and response? So when we, well, I can guess that. Yeah. Like, guess. I mean, a reaction would be kind of unconscious. And a response would be conscious in a meaning like if you said something and it brought up a certain memory from my childhood or something and I just like came out of nowhere like ah, and attacked you or something for you got triggered. such a thing. Yep. Yeah, trigger. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, so that would be a reaction, right? And then response would be if I pause and think about it, oh, what is he actually asking me? 
Yeah, the pause is super duper important because if like um, in number 15 on here is uh, – well, I mean because there's 21 mantras. And so this, this is particularly um, – so it says – React so reacting to my experience with anger and fear is different than responding to that experience with like you know like sincerity and open mindedness, for example. So when I react, when I when all of a sudden I'm like fuck that or like you know something like you know how it is yeah. like when you hit that reaction, what's happening yeah. is in your mind there actually is a reaction happening. There's a chemical reaction happening. We are secreting adrenaline and cortisol. And we are activating that unconscious character. And in that moment of reaction, when the adrenaline and the cortisol and all the survival hormones are secreted, we basically be, go unconscious. Yeah. And we become like an, an animal being chased know, by a lion. Is. Yeah. And so that's going to be a very different person. We're like having that, creating that experience than one that's able to, like you said, pause in that moment and respond and say, wait a minute, I heard you say that, that I'm a punk motherfucker right. and can you, can you, and just being neutral to it. Yeah. Neutrality is such an important tool because once we react, then we swung the pendulum and then we're going to be in depression and we're going to be back and forth between depression and anxiety for the next week. But if we stay in neutrality... And we just say, wait a minute, the pause. What did you say? Because I heard you say that I'm a punk. Yeah. And they'll be like, no, I didn't say that. I said this. Oh, okay, cool. Right on. Like even like the timer thing with you, like in the beginning, I'm sure it was, you were reacting to having to tell people they had one minute. Well, yeah. and In I, a different way. Yeah, I, I was reacting in a different way where I was like shying up. You're bracing Quiet. up against yeah, the experience. Yeah, so exactly. when we're bracing up against that. And I still do that. I mean. You know, I did that today a little bit. But not as much as the first day. No, yeah. And now you can recognize the benefits in what you're doing. Yeah. Much like, like you're saying, it's hard for you to connect being sober. Like I have nine-year-old identical twin girls. (laughs) So I've been practicing connecting with them for nine years. And it wasn't until about year five or six that I didn't have to chain smoke cigarettes and be in the car in an anxiety attack before I picked them up. Wow, really? Because I was so like afraid. Once I got with them and they were sitting in my lap and I was able to connect with them, but anticipating that, that trauma avatar, that part of yeah. me was very scared of that, oh, much yeah. like you were with the one-minute timer. Yeah. Because you were like, oh, my God, I got to brace up against this. What if I, I don't want to interrupt them? I don't want to be – Yeah. whatever what was your narrative that you were saying there. And then you had that greater insight. You're like, well, now I'm learning how to do this. I'm, I'm Little by little, I'm walking through that discomfort, which will translate into if you were to do a timer commitment for four years, you might be able to easily set a boundary with your next partner that you're struggling to set today. Yeah. To see how those are connected. Yeah, I do. Um. Yeah, I, I yeah, a good one to, to think of is like I yeah, so I get unconsciously jealous of my I don't know what to call her, my strange wife or my my partner like of but I've always been that way with her even like, you know, like possessive? Yeah, possessive. Um, you know, and I I can't help it. It's not where my ideals are at uh, necessarily. I just get really scared that she's seeing someone else or like, anyway, you know, it's like these kind of grandiose fantasies when in reality, you know, you know, I'll have like, you know, some, something like, oh, she's 
worst case scenario, like with another person fucking some guy or, or whatever, um, that she might just be friends with or that, or I could just make something up like completely and my, my mind will go on these fucking narratives. Yes. Um, like, and yes. it shows me what a creative person I am because, you know, um, <laughs> because none of it exists. And, Except in your mind. Yeah. Yeah. And, but it's so convincing. And we call that the personal narrative. And so that narrative gets turned on. And next thing I know, we're indulging in the, she's bang, she's gang banging right. the neighbors. Yeah. And next thing you know, our palms are sweaty and we're fucking pacing back and forth. We're looking yeah. for a cigarette. We're like pounding more coffee to make it even worse. Yeah. That's true. And you know what I mean? But we're, 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 um, what's the word? We're, we're ruminating on that and we're becoming, we're getting into a compulsive and obsessive loop about it, much the same way we would about using. Yeah. Like when we were going to try to not use or right. use or control our using, it's uh and so I yeah that and so that's like yeah that's you're true. reacting to that you're getting into your character we call it getting into character getting into the persona getting into the avatar because when you were conscious and you were regulated and you were just being Tim and you were drawing and you were in your creative flow and the sun was shining and you could hear the birds chirping. You were in that moment and you were connected to it. And then all of a sudden, whether it was her not responding to the text quick enough yeah. or whether it was her being short or you interpreting something away, boom, yeah. you got triggered. And next thing you know, you're in your avatar and you're reacting. And you're reacting in a way that's creating the chemicals that's now turning on that narrative yeah. and bringing that reality. It's a virtual reality that yeah. the trauma avatar can create and has complete control over. So right. but when you're, oh, you, yeah, you create the AI reality and you disconnect from shared reality. So there's oh, the yeah. shared observable reality that we're all participating in where you can look me in the eyes and say something crazy and I'll go, Tim, you sound kind of crazy right now. Yeah. But if you're by yourself and you're in your trauma avatar and you're in that virtual reality that the avatar has with its narrative, then there's nothing to check that and you can indulge all you want and you can create whatever you want to. And it's like indulging because there's a part of you who knows that's not true, Yeah, but you course. just can't not help yourself Yeah, because it's so strong. It's like when the doctor hits your knee with a mallet, it, mm -hmm. it reflexes. Yeah, yeah. It's like that quick it goes yeah. into it and it's a chemical reaction that triggers us into it. So being able to recognize, oh, I'm no longer responding to my experiences. I'm no longer on my spiritual surfboard. I'm in the undertow. I'm reactive. So what? So what do I do to try to engage in the shared consciousness, shared moment that you were talking about, rather than being in the fantasy world? Well, being able to recognize that you've you've been triggered into a pattern. And so your pattern sounds like creating fantasy. Uh, Often. One of them. Yeah. yeah. Which is, you know, it's just being able to recognize when you're no longer centered. So the whole point of this is, is not to catch that and be on high alert and all that. It's basically on a daily basis. We just do meditative mantras. So Yeah. For, so what do you do? So I'll give you an example. So okay. that's what I was going to do. And it'd be a good time to. Yeah. So if you wouldn't mind, and I'm going to pause it again because I want you to just, we're going to stay okay. focused on this. There's one on this list that's particularly troublesome for you right now. Okay. Okay. And I'm going to give you actually the elongated version of it. Um, one sorry, Give me one sec. Okay. Yeah, just look, look through there. I'm going to pause it for a second, guys. Well, the problem with picking one of these in particular is I, I resonate with all of them. Mm -hmm. Well, and the practice involves all of them. 
So when you're going through the thing, you do between one and seven a day of these mantras. So you can, I mean, three. So you can do three a day. There's a mantra for each, but I'm just going to take you through the process with one right now okay. so you can understand the way this works. Okay. Well, okay, then I'll pick one. And you can easy. let me know the parts that are confusing so I can be more helpful. Mm. So just pick one of them because there's not, not really any of them that stand out more than – I mean, for example – so people know that I'm talking about for the podcast. I play the victim. I seek validation from others. I'm inauthentic or, you know, and, and emotionally unavailable in a way where I lately I feel like I don't even know who I am or what mm -hmm. I am at all. Okay. You know, and uh, I don't know, just kind of total loss of identity. Um and uh, real kind of flakiness, um, and like I mean, you know, but but I can pick pick a lot of them. Um, you know, neg that might be a little complex to deal with right at the moment. Well, it's um, the same process for each of them, so uh, I'm just going to okay. show you. So just pick one, and then okay. while you're doing that, I'm going to go grab the book. Okay, because I'm going to walk you through it. Right now. Okay. These are those patterns, ungrateful and entitled, unable to give and receive love, judgmental and arrogant, unrealistic expectations of self and others, playing the victim, passive aggressive or overly aggressive. Oh, that's a good one. Passively aggressive or overly aggressive? Yeah. Okay. That is good. Okay. So, um... Passively aggressive or overly aggressive. That's number five. Mm -hmm. And that evolved into, just give me one sec. Making idle threats, being jealous or vindictive while people pleasing, triangulation, bullying, emotional displacement, people pleasing. So that, that became kind of like a, so being, uh, this is perfect actually. So w the one that Timo picked is number five on the list. There's 21 mantras. So number five on the thing is basically the way it's written is aggressive, passively aggressive, and misunderstood. Having unclear communication, being unable to articulate what we need, what we want, what our boundaries are, what our truth is. And in that being vague like that, we often become passive aggressive or aggressive because we can't articulate what we need. We can't articulate what we want. So we want, instead of continuing to because that's that's if that's something that's not desirable anymore if that you find that to be self-defeating right if you find that you kind of if it works it's work it works but if that doesn't yeah. work for me that wasn't working anymore people weren't understanding yeah. me i wasn't able to connect i wasn't feeling safe like the closer people were getting to me the more i was shutting down and acting like a five-year-old yeah and i wasn't able to like stay in my masculine energy yeah. and be able to express what it is i need to express yeah. for that part of me to feel safe and like honored and does that make sense at all? Uh, totally. And so what we're going to do to, if you could, if you could forward to page 135. Okay. Possibilities I wanted to create. Yes. So 
what we're going to do is, is, is before we move any forward, number five on that list, and, and the final way it is, it's becoming an authentic and effective communicator. So we want to authentically uh, uh, communicate like our truth. Like we have our own unique connection to spiritual love and truth and the way that we articulate that and we share that with people is authentically ours. There's no one, you have your own perspective and the way that you share that with people. There's no other way that t- uh, Tim O's looking at something completely different than I am. Right. And so you want to be able to, uh, to be authentic in your communication and effective. People hear what you're saying. They understand it. They resonate with people. They right. hear you. They're able to honor what you're saying. You're not being vague. You're not being like unclear. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So if that's if something that you desire to create, if you do accept that that's possible for you to be an authentic and effective communicator in the world, definitely you accept that as a possibility. Okay. Well, that's basically all you need to do. So now what we do is we go back to, well, what if I don't, well, then you can't move forward. There's no, because this is all about creating new possibilities. So, well, do you have an exercise to go from, Oh, I got you on all this, but at the very beginning, before you even move forward, if the person, you don't have to be doing, jumping up and down and doing somersaults and being like, Oh yeah, I got this. But if you accept that it's possible for you to be an authentic and effective communicator, that's something that's possible for you. If it's at least possible, not probable or guaranteed, it's not in the bank, it's not a layup, but it's something that you're saying, you're, you're not coming into it and saying it absolutely can't happen and fuck you in this thing. And I'm, I'm, I, I'm always going to be, you know, passive aggressive and an ineffective communicator. It's not possible for me to change. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if that's the thing, that's okay, but there's no, there's no space there. Yeah, I understand. I'm just trying to get a sense of the program, the, uh, the conscious creator's way of, is there a step in order to accept that or you, just, oh, yeah. you know well, what I'm saying? Well, I mean, yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. So now after like, but just as an idea, just as a one sentence, yes or no, is okay. it possible or no? Yes. Period. Now we're moving forward with the inventory. Now okay. we're going to gain awareness of this habit pattern. Okay. We're going to see what it's like when Tim engages in this, the, indulges in this habit pattern. Okay. okay. So we're going to move on to have a pattern inventory and it's have a pattern number five. That's a, it? It's on page 175. And then this is my habit pattern okay. inventory, but do you want me to read it to you or do you want to read it? I'll read it. Great. Okay. Habit pattern number five. Number one, when I indulge in the habit pattern of acting passive aggressively. Um, two, when I create, wait, okay, wait. So the first thing is they're just like, okay, so we're just saying when I indulge in this habit pattern, my life looks like, and then I'll say I create confusion. Okay. Go ahead. When I indulge in the pattern of acting passive aggressively, I create confusion. I become verbally hostile. I criticize ideas that I don't agree with. I mock others. I disrespect people's wishes in order to exert my dominance. I refuse to acknowledge my true feelings. I agree to the resolution, yet silently resent it. I pass off hostility as humor. I shut down and punish people with silence. Do you, and do you have anything that you'd add just being like, you know, 
when you're acting, when you're, when you're not being a, an effective communicator and you're active pass, acting passively aggressively, does any of what I described there resonate to you? Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to add to that? That I'd like to add? That um, you do personally, that you notice yourself doing as your, the way you survive and the way you cope. I could highlight that I do, I, I agree with that. I create confusion. Um, I criticize ideas. Yeah, I mean, I agree with all of it. Uh, all of it. I'm just trying to soak it in. And, um, but uh, um, passing off stuff is humor. Uh, hostility is humor. Um, shut down. Oh, shut down and uh, punish people with silence. My wife does that a lot. Mm. Uh, I asked wife for whatever. <laughs> um, what else? I I lie. Yeah. You lie to people, please. Yeah. Or you lie to people, please. Yeah. That that's um. You agree to things you really don't agree with. Yeah. Just to kind of placate the moment. To so yeah. To, to deal yeah, with it. To, yeah. Yeah. That's a good way. To and that's a coping it, yeah. mechanism. I mean, you know. Yeah, I did that to Definitely. survive my childhood. Really? Well, yeah. You have to agree. You have to like seem like you're there, but you're really not there. Like that's yeah. where I start creating the fantasy. It's like, yeah, I'm here. I'm listening to you. I appear present, but I'm over here thinking about Star Wars. You know what I mean? Yeah. As in, is that what you're saying, kind of? Yeah. Okay. Um, Anything else? Yeah. Or, yeah, just lying to try to not address the problem. Like, uh, for example, like lying to my partner about using drugs, uh, you know, telling her that I'm not, even though I'm acting weird, you know, Um just so I don't have to. Oh, even though you are. Yeah. Yeah. Just so I don't have to deal with like, I don't know, that whole fucking mess, like her throwing out my drugs or, you know, which has happened. Um, and, uh, or, or, you know, we're like having to go and go to it, you know, get sober again and go to a fucking meeting and like, you know, do that whole <laughs> change in lifestyle. Sometimes you're just not ready to give up. Um, Let's see what else. What, I mean, in like in, in in your interactions, where there's times when you feel like you need to set a boundary, like one that's common for some folks is like, you know, it's like I want to set this boundary and I want to tell someone how I really feel, but I'm afraid of abandonment, so I'm not going to yeah. do it. Oh, totally. I just I need them to be with me more than I need to yeah. run the risk of saying my truth and, True. and leaving me or rejecting me somehow. Absolutely, yeah. Because I grew up with parents that were like, you know, if I didn't act a certain way, then they would emotionally, they would um, freeze me out or they would punish me with silence and things if I didn't act the way they thought was the way I should act. So I learned to just kind of either be the good good asher or be so gnarly off the chains in reaction to that. But I couldn't be authentic. The main mm. thing is, yeah. is that in all these yeah. things we're doing, I'm living inauthentically. Mm -hmm. I'm not being authentic. I'm being inauthentic. I'm being fake. Right. I'm surviving. I'm living in my AI, my virtual reality. Yeah, I do. Because I'm not lot. honoring my truth. Yeah. I try to be like a fly on the wall, just not be... Uh, noticed, like for example, maybe this is an example, and and one that comes to mind since we're in an AA place. But um, during a meeting, I might not share because you know I just don't, you know, uh, I lost my train of thought. But yeah, yeah, I um, Take I might time. Not, it's fine. I might not want to share because like nobody cares. I'll tell myself nobody cares, or like you know, my opinion doesn't matter or, um, 
you know, or yeah, I just don't want to bother anybody. Yeah, that that's kind of a thing. big one. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to bother anybody. Yeah, that's huge for me. That that yeah, I I feel that way quite a bit, and that sometimes that keeps me from like pursuing stuff that I think that I should be even like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't want to bother them, so I'm not gonna like even like something like really ridiculous, like I'm running late to work, so I don't want to text my boss and tell him that I'm late. Because I think that, because I don't want to like confront that, you know, I don't want to be late. And so I just, I'll just blow off work altogether. And you just fuck the job and I'll never go back. Yeah, 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 <laughs> you know yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, yeah. That's happened to me a lot of times. Or, or like. So being, yeah. you know, because there's like this association we have with like, if you are vulnerable and then real or truthful somehow there's a like something's going to hammer you over the head or there's some kind of danger or threat to that yeah right Uh uh so it's like it's not a safe thing for you to do that so you avoid it because somewhere along the line there was an experience where it became kind of it wasn't it's it's never been a liberating or powering empowering thing for you it's been kind of something that's been invalidating or harmful or uncomfortable or just what, like, telling the truth? Yeah, because uh-huh. at some point you maybe there may have been an experience where you might have told the truth and been completely forthright and There's maybe even needed even, something yeah. from someone you really cared a lot about and they weren't able to support your growth. They needed to come down on you or punish you or make you wrong. So at that point, it's like we just kind of learned not to, to, to be like that with people. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know, you know, is there anything like that that totally, yeah, you want to share about one of those? Yeah. Um, um yeah i mean even even to this day there there are some things and there are certain certain situations and it's really hard for me to get a yeah, this is a good and i think it's i read that in here is like the, the 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 um imbalance of either being too expressive or not expressing myself at all mm-hmm. you know what i mean like so it's it's either like i i give a 20 minute lead or I don't share at all. You're shut down. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of like a five minute, you know, or, or you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or just kind of communicating with people and being, yeah. part, being one with this shared experience. Right. Being learning too to collaborate. An, overly honest, like saying stuff that I probably shouldn't be telling strangers. Like, you know, oh, I was like, you know, uh, you know, this and that. Uh, um, or, yeah. Like either being overly honest or, you know, like sometimes reverse that. Sometimes, like, I've gotten into situations where I maybe tell my boss that I'm not too enthusiastic about this company or something, <laughs> you know, something you shouldn't be saying to your boss at all because they'll probably, you know, they're like, fuck this dude, you know, he's like against me or whatever, yeah. you know, or being like, oh, I'm not going to tell him that I'm running late uh, because then he's going to get mad at me. So I just won't go to the job at all. Fuck it. I'll find Which, a new you job. see how that all creates fear and anxiety. Yeah. And that fear and anxiety is what activates our trauma avatar. And we live in that narrative as opposed to living in our shared reality. Can you kind of see that a little bit? Totally. Yeah. And so let's move on a little bit. Okay. So with this, so um, the next part of the inventory, you can ignore the number three, but what we're Wait, looking what page at, are we on? we're on page 176 now. Okay. So you just said, you know, you know, where we are reading when we indulge in this pattern, I tend to, you know, be oh, silently, yeah, yeah, okay. you know, agree to resolutions yet silently resented. I passed off by the hostility of humor, all the great examples you just gave. But when I'm in this habit pattern, when I'm actively indulging in this habit pattern, I'm validating core beliefs about myself. 
by you being vague and shutting down and saying no one wants to hear me, you know, there's a possibility you're validating a belief that you somehow are inadequate or yeah, that totally. you don't have anything good to say, that you're incapable, unworthy, or unlovable somehow. Yeah. And so That's true. what this part of the inventory is, is speaking to is when I'm indulging in this pattern, I'm actively validating core beliefs about myself that are self-defeating. So that you want to read that paragraph? Where, which one? It's the one where it's the 176 right after the one you just wrote. Number okay. three. Oh, number three. This habit pattern validates the following core beliefs. I am unworthy because I don't let my true thoughts or feelings be expressed due to fear of rejection and abandonment. I am unlovable because in failing to communicate my needs and desires, I neglect myself. I am a victim because I go along with things I don't agree with. I am incapable because I neither advocate nor communicate complete competently. Competently. Um, should I go on? Let's stop there. Okay. So basically, what I'm saying is, is when I'm I'm being. Um, when I'm being passive aggressive and, and, and authentic in my language, when I'm confusing people and being shut down and all the things we just described, I'm validating a belief that I'm unworthy, um, I'm unlovable, and I'm a victim and incapable. Can you see any of that? Yeah. And so the trauma avatar, which is the thing that is activated by fearful reaction, it lives off these beliefs. That It's built upon these beliefs. Our identity is literally built upon a foundation of, of, of beliefs that we think are true, but they're not actual truth. Yeah. They're just ideas we have about ourselves to walking away from experiences of trauma and neglect that we didn't have any understanding. We didn't have any business evaluating. We were little kids. Does that make sense? Yeah. I have to use, you have to use bathroom. Yeah. In closing, Tim, uh, uh, do you have any last minute insights or anything you wanted to, like walking away from this as a person? Because what I'm trying to do is develop this material to make it more helpful for people. Mm -hmm. What would be suggestions you would have for me to make it more more helpful and more, um, what would be something that would help folks um, and help you have a better experience with it? Probably, maybe an edit of this book in that, in, in some of, just, just some some of the grammar stuff which is um would make it more tangible i think uh um uh, just that, that that's a small part but I, I it's a lot to take in so i'm just sure I'm, I'm trying to think about how much or think about sort of but i get i i understand more now than when we started which is, which is good cool yeah um and uh yeah i'll think about it yeah think about yeah. it yeah yeah, I definitely the language and the grammar. Yeah, making the language more accessible. Yeah, more flowy. Yeah, that's more probably relatable. the biggest. Yes. Okay. That, that's that's that would be the biggest thing. Yeah. Um, like more like how it is when we're talking and less how it reads. Yeah. Well. Um, well. Yeah. Um, well, let's see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good way to describe it. Let me think about it more, though. Okay. Because yeah. it's also just very abstract, and most people exactly. have no awareness of it, and there's yeah. no easy way to kind of do this. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but, but I, I think it's very impressive so far. Um, very impressive. Very impressed by all the material. Well, let me know how it is moving forward, and, yeah. and like, 
if there was any kind of an awareness thing that's growing in you or yeah. if you've had any kind of shift or if you're okay because this is a lot you know so yeah like reach out if there's anything like absolutely you know, i'm not trying to can like don't you know you're not alone or whatever so don't go, <laughs> yeah. go get high or whatever oh no yeah. I, I wouldn't yeah no because uh, once we get high we're just in the avatar and that's it we're locked into that true. game that's it yeah. that's all we got we're bringing over people who don't care about us and yeah you know we're doing all these things and just, that's just what it is that's why i got sober this time it was like i knew that aa wasn't addressing my my addiction mm -hmm. Like this thing I have, this like you know identity that wants this. Un it, it's just self defeating. Yeah, but I, I had that. to be physically sober before I could go in and work on that. Right. Because otherwise, I was just going to be wrestling with and focusing on the meth pipe. Right. Do uh, math. Uh, don't do meth. As opposed to like hate myself. Don't hate myself. That's very true. That's a good way. Yeah. Well, cool yeah. guys. If there's anyone, uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, if you'd like to come in and and uh, and be part of the process, this book, uh, the Conscious Creators, the Way of the Conscious Creator, is written by the Creative Collective Alliance, and that's because there's several hundred people that have played a hand. Some of them are alive, some of them are dead, but all of them have imparted their hard-fought wisdom in their own journeys through the underworld of human consciousness over the last 15 years. And I am grateful for each and every person's perspective and this would not be where it is without them all and so um, until next time thank you very much and have a great day okay go ahead I like the flavor it's good flavor yeah it looks really appetizing like that <laughs> looks like someone dumped packaging material into like sewer water that's true yeah that's what true. was your thing you're thinking of your oh just like something for example i forget who called me I, I remember like when i was a kid somebody called me weird and uh um that affected me and then like from there on um i think i've had that like it's sort of like a trigger word i don't like being called weird mm. i feel like and uh like and, and and then like it's like i'm locked into it like i i get weird because I'm afraid of being weird. You know what I'm saying? It's like a self-fulfilling yeah, prophecy. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, you know, so like I, maybe my mind will be a little like obsessive compulsive about it. Like, don't be a weirdo, Tim. Don't be, a, you know, whatever. And then and like. That makes you a weirdo. Yeah, and it makes me weird. Like, and then I can't look people in the eye. And then yeah. like, you know, I might like, you know, neglect self-care and smell or something. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, and then, yeah, you do turn into a weirdo. Yeah. You know? trying to avoid the thing well it's yeah. it's because yes we're afraid of it and we have already labeled it as bad but it's it's something we're concentrating on right. and i'll give you this example that's in the book yeah like resisting hate is very different than embracing love because i can push up and resist the hate i don't want to be hateful i don't want to be hateful yeah. fuck oh, being hateful i'm not going to be hateful fuck trump he's yeah. hateful i'm not going to hate him right. as opposed to just turning away from hate and embracing love mm, yeah. and this is all about we're not going to resist or wrestle with this habit pattern we're going to turn to the new possibility and train our mind to focus on it consistently i see that and then good feed our mind a consistent stream of vibratory energy that basically resets our mind so now it's completely living in that possibility with each of these things. So we we're basically taking these survival patterns built out of fear and trauma and neglect, and we're just taking them in the bank. We're cashing them in, and we're getting these new oh. patterns that are going to override them that we're going to consistently focus on, and we're going to reset everything. Right. So like instead of like 
repeating, kind of hyper-focusing on the mantra of don't be a weirdo to myself. I might mm. focus on a mantra like, you know, love, be love or something. Yeah, or be, yeah. Uh, I am authentic and I am enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because it's yeah. really a lack of self-acceptance. It's like, you know, some kid who's probably a douche or like a doofus <laughs> these days, but it was like cool back then when everyone was afraid yeah, of being a dork. Like my kids call me a weirdo all the time. And I'm like, yeah, weird's good. You know what I mean? But if we have this. That's this, true. I do kind of. Yeah. You know, it's just changing our idea about ourselves because really it's this idea that we have this identity that we've been dragging around. It just doesn't serve us. It needs to be updated. It's like an operating system that's running like windows seven and it's right. like or we're, we're on high sierra and we need big sir yeah right yeah. and so we're still on high sierra based on decisions we made trying not to be weird yeah and now it's like dude like weird's where it's at yeah but we're we're still thinking weird's not cool like that's I, true you know I'm, I'm supposed to be an artist and a musician not a military man and a cop like and a football player like my dad wanted like i thought that was cool but boy, if I would have done that for a career, I would be so miserable right now. If you were, uh, if I would have kept guy? going with what, what what I needed, my dad's validation, as opposed to beginning to have the courage to break away from that and just don't worry about that, and little by little, in moments, start to become this creator and this person I authentically am today, and to see my authentic self loving the world and see the world loving me back, not looking at me as some weirdo freak, but as someone who is capable and enough because right now prior to my kids and everything else i didn't know that i was running away from those as fast as i could i didn't want anyone to get close to me because i was afraid they would find out that i was a weirdo or not enough yeah a loser yeah and that fear is constantly like driving our behavior and we can never give and receive love well when someone gets close enough to us when they get too close or how many times have you done this where you're like i'm gonna go and I, I should have said something to my partner. I acquiesced to some yeah. of her wishes. She's uber controlling and codependent. And then I split and went and then did meth. Yeah. Because I invalidated myself and I didn't honor what was true for me. Right. And then I'm going to go do meth to, 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 to deal with that. Yeah, just to yeah, create yeah. some space from that. Oh, yeah. And we don't want to do that. because, But we don't until we're aware, until we're actually aware, oh, we're not using meth because we like it. We're using meth to push these people away so they'll leave us alone. Because we don't know how to say leave us, leave me alone. This is an example. Does that yeah. make sense? No, it to- totally does. I was just thinking, sorry, you you distracted me because I realized, actually, I, I had an experience this weekend, and I didn't share about this at the meeting, but um, somebody offered me meth um, and uh, for the first time in a while, and I'm glad that I denied it anyway. That's great. Yeah. It's really hard to do that, especially we're in a weird place. Like, I mean, it was, it would have been a situation where I was staying over at my friend's house. He lives. This know, is one know. of your two writer friends? No. That Different actually, friend. uh, yeah. No. Uh, those guys are, you know, nope. I think the most they do is like drink a little and smoke pot. But um, you're saying we're over. Yeah. I was staying at my buddy's, my buddy's house. Yeah, yeah. Somebody who I know inside him. In and out of the program constantly. And like, I mean, I, I was just in a situation where I could have, um, you know, I could have, I mean, there was nothing really keeping me from, except for just realizing, like, kind of like realizing that my life is all right, you know, like I've got a good thing going on, you know, it might not be, you know, all that, like, I mean, I may not have everything that I want, but like, you know, I got, you know, you know, a touch and touch and go relationship with, you know, I mean, like me and my wife are in pretty good terms and she's doing her school thing. Like what, what like basically I could have sunk my life 
from where it is now, which is some, I don't know. I'm not always grateful for my right. life right now, well, but, I get it. but I was like, it was almost empowering for him to be like, because I was like, no, dude, I don't want to do something that I know if I, if I do that, I'm definitely going to lose my apartment. I'm definitely going to lose my partnership in all the wrong ways. You know what I mean? Yes. Not by consciously choosing yes. to let it go yeah. but because once again, I just basically, yeah, I get that completely. It was, it was empowering. That's amazing. Yeah, because it's been kind of an uncertain time for you too, with her leaving, yeah. you being on your own for the first yeah. time in a while, and yeah. so uh, it's because that, that's kind of when I would run into trouble too, and then I'd start reaching out or bringing in appropriate appropriate people to the house because oh, I wanted company because totally. I'm yeah. alone. Part of the thing with this process is like it puts all it's that good, to sleep, yeah. so I can be alone with my higher power. I can be alone now in a very different uh, way. That's really powerful. But so that's and, a, that's a huge selling point. Because I can't even, I can't be in my apartment alone and, and feel like I'm getting things done. Like, I mean, like, for example, like working on my cartoon, like it's really hard for me to, to just sit there and do it. I get distracted. Like, I can't be in my fucking apartment alone, you know? Well, you can be. It's just uncomfortable for you. We never want to speak yeah. in can'ts and don'ts and always and nevers. That's true. Well, let's go ahead because we have just a, like a little What's bit. It's a huge of- selling point though, to, it- to say. And so what we want to talk about here is we are validating our beliefs. We have this identity where our trauma avatar gets to feel alive and it gets to live in its virtual reality when we live authentically and indulge in this pattern. So when I'm passive aggressive and unclear in my communication, inauthentic and just kind of like invalidating myself. And just, Dude, I got to mention though yeah. that I like, I really like though that you, you said that you really hit home when you said inviting somebody to your place and because i you know i think about that lately because i feel kind of lonely you know the past couple days especially and like and i think about that too like oh you know just like you know get any usually woman to to come over and not but when you said that for it hit home because i was like i've been in that experience too where i've i've brought people in off the street because i was feeling lonely yes and and it didn't work out no and it's bad because then all of a sudden you have this shady fucking homeless person, like who's like half living at your apartment, and like they're just leeching off you. You, you, you know, and you mean? know that feeling, yeah. and you know they're just using you, which yeah. of which further validates the Dude, belief that I'm a lover. Worse, yes, because it's not someone. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Like whenever I go and like I used to, because here's where my thing goes. Because I told you I was like addicted to emotionally unavailable women, so that started with girls who were kind of mean in high school, and ended with like me going and like spending thousands of dollars on like high priced escorts who were smoking meth. Yeah. And there's nothing more emotionally unavailable than a sex worker on meth. Yeah. And so I would go out and I'd find these things and I would emotionally cut myself with them. And I would try to get them to love me and be emotionally available, but they weren't able oh. to. And it was just like, I was like, you know, handpicking the right people so that I could walk away feeling like emotionally cutting myself with them. Oh. Being like a, you know, does that make sense? Yes. And so that's kind of what, I was. Know. I was a prostitute actually. Huh? Uh, I was a male prostitute. Oh, were you? Yeah. When I smoked meth. So I, I, I've been there in the opposite, and it's almost crazy to hear you say. I mean, of course, I was you know a prostitute to other males because I not, did it before. I've turned yeah. turned turn a couple of tricks. Oh, really? I did it just to do it. I mean, yeah. the guy who was a, a prostitute in San Francisco had he had this guy named Doctor Stan, 
And so God's pretty much had me do everything in order to feel what it's like. I mean, I, I only did it just the, actually I, I did it once and I, I needed to do it another time. My dad was dying of cancer at the time. And he's like, I had my, I didn't have my rent. I was staying at the Palo Alto hotel. Yeah. So I needed like 200 bucks. So I was staying at the shitty residential hotel in San Francisco. And so he said, well, I know this Dr. Stan guy. If you're a straight guy and you've never done it before, I'll pay you 200 bucks. Really? Suck your dick, but you got to come in his mouth. Wait, your dad? No, Dr. Stan, this dude. Just the doctor guy that he knew, one of his clients. And so I had to go over there and do that. And it was really, really challenging. But go back to you. No, I, you know, I'm I'm interested. Yeah, no, I've I've, I've been there too. I might know that doctor too. In San Francisco? Uh, No, I mean, I'm just kind of playing around. But there's, I I did actually know a doctor here who was gay. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't think I was prostituting to him at the time, but I met him through another buddy who is also a male prostitute. But anyway, it's funny to hear that, like, because, like, you know, I think about getting female escorts now, too. Um, but it's it's good for you to describe that because it makes me remember, like, oh, yeah, that's that's a horrible feeling to have somebody who's emotionally unavailable. And I was just pointing out that I've done that before because, you know, I've been that emotionally unavailable person because I've... I've been in the situation where I'm with, you know, some guy and he, like all I want from him is his money. Yes. Right. And, uh, and I'm just kind of a shell. I'm not even there. You're you dissociated. I mean? Yeah. Just totally like Xanax, like, like three, two milligrams Xanax and like, or six or, or, or you know, however, however money and, and just so much meth that I'm completely on planet nine. Yeah. You know, I'm like, not, gotta be to do that. Yeah. Gotta be to do that. Yeah. It's so hard to do Dude. that. Yeah. It's so hard to do that. And I remember the time after I did that, it was so hard for me to yes. do that. And I had to take Viagra and I had to watch straight porn oh, yeah. and I had to do all this stuff. And the and Viagra doesn't even work. It was right? like, yeah, real, yeah, but yeah, I had to perform yeah. in order to get the money. Right. And so that had to happen. And then yeah, but the, the craziest thing was I could not wait to get back to the residential hotel and find this girl who I knew as a sex worker and have her do it. Recreate. No, I just uh... needed to create a new memory. Like to get out of the thing because I didn't want that to be the memory. I know. I was, I was so fucked up from it. I couldn't even do it. I, I was just, it really fucked me up. Because I, I didn't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Like yeah. it's not, and it's not, I have no judgment about homosexuality or yeah, anything yeah, like yeah. that. But when you have no desire to do something, the only <laughs> yeah. reason you're doing it is because you money. need to pay rent on uh, someplace. Yeah, yeah. And I'm glad I know what that feels like because there's true. so many people that live in that all the time and we have no clue how fortunate we are. That's you true. have the choice not to because there's so many people in sex that are sold into sex slavery. That's true. That are just literally, that's their life. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, how crazy is that? Because I, I, I mean, I just remember how it affected me. You know, and I dated other girls who were escorts. I dated a lot of escorts who were also, you know, and it was able, I was able to like be with them and act really emotionally available to these people because I knew they weren't available. Yeah. And if they were ever to become available, I would shut down and split. Yeah. One time oh, that happened. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Like in a really gnarly way. You know what I mean? Where she I was like, actually, I love you. I think I do. And then I was like, boom, peace out. I just split and broke, like destroyed everything. Yeah. I cannot. Yeah. The games we play when we're in our trauma avatar in our virtual it. reality, it's all a synthetic reality. Yeah. It's not real except in our brain. Yeah. So let's uh, go to the yeah, last little ahead. part here. So okay. the, the, the part of four is what we're saying is, is when we're in this pattern, we're actively validating self-defeating beliefs. Okay. And when we're actively validating these beliefs that don't serve us, we're neglecting these needs. Mm-hmm. When we're, 
There's no security, connection, community, intimacy, communication, sensation. None of these things that we need is our birthright to be like whole and joyous human beings. Oh, They're okay. all being neglected. So because we're spending all of our creative bandwidth creating situations and scenarios to invalidate ourselves because we believe our trauma avatar believes it's unlovable and capable and a victim. Does that make sense? Yes, totally. Do you want to read that paragraph? Yeah. When I indulge in this habit pattern, I neglect the fundamental need for intimacy by living in resentment and shame connection uh, by remaining attached to my narrative community by isolating when my unrealistic demands are not met are not met uh, progression allowing my fear of failure and rejection to keep me from evolving expression by failing to effectively express my authentic truth boundaries and desires to others does that make sense yeah. So we're just, we're literally neglecting all of those needs when we're validating that belief. And I see. It starts when we get triggered into the pattern. As soon as we get triggered into the pattern and we become fearful and our mind becomes reactive and we start bracing up against things, that pattern becomes active and we get into character. We become our trauma avatar. And we're a very different person than we were when we were open and receptive two minutes prior, before we were triggered. We're a different human being altogether. Like the difference between an animal and like, the difference between a human being trying to have a spiritual experience and a spiritual being having a human experience. Do you understand the difference? Yes. So like that's how much the shift is because <laughs> we get into animal mode, we're in instinct mode, and we're just now an animal who's trying to survive rather than a spiritual being trying to thrive. Right. Okay. And so and all of this, this is the payoff. So the primary emotional response is disappointment, frustration, and anxiety. Those are the emotions we're addicted to. Those are the familiar experiences. Those are the components of the love we learned growing up. Okay. Anxiety, disappointment, frustration. So that's what we like associate with love. And so if the love we're sharing with people have those three things in them. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Then we're, we're sharing the kind of love we learned. Right. Because we were infected by the trauma, uh, trauma virus that everyone's been affected with ever since the trauma virus was born back in the last ice age. When was that? About 13,000 years ago. 13,000 years ago? Yes, sir. Is that with uh, the end of the last ice age? The end of the last ice age was when you, uh, my, this is the story in the beginning of this book talks about it redefines this King. book. The book, the, the final version of the book starts with Cain and Abel and the birth of the trauma virus. Interesting. And so Cain in the book is not a person. It's the clan of Cain that came from, uh, from the, the English, you know, the English islands and made the migration down into the fertile crescent at the end of the last ice age. And they were so traumatized and so fucked up from living in the ice age and having to survive, which required cannibalism, which required incest. It required them to do all the things, the atrocities that they had to do in order to survive the ice age. They were in their trauma avatar and they were compulsively putting all the land under cultivation. That's when the agricultural revolution started. That's when man started locking up land, putting it under cultivation and killing any animals that would try to eat that land. And that has spread the entire world now. The whole mm. agricultural revolution oh, yeah, has spread the trauma virus. 
So the, the propagation of the trauma virus happened through locking up the food and there's nothing wrong with it. But when we have all of the land under cultivation and now all the animals are extinct because they can't touch our food and we need to make 10 billion people because mm -hmm. we're not going to die in the ice age again. But the ice age is 13,000 years ago. I see. And those people came down into the Fertile Crescent. Mm -hmm. And the people in the Fertile Crescent lived in abundance. Their higher power was love. Their higher power was abundance. They What's the Fertile where, where is the Fertile, fertile Crescent? Is that like in the Mediterranean? Middle East. Yeah, like going towards the Middle East and the, okay. the, yeah, like the like Greece. Yeah, like the like the, the the birth of like the it's a beautiful it's like Eden. Have you been there? No. Oh. But in the story in the Bible, I want to go. So there. like when Cain and Abel, yeah. when Cain killed Abel, Cain was this these white people out of the north who came down out of the Ice Age, basically killing Semitic pastoralists. Really? So Abel were like Semites. They were they were tribes, and, and and Abel was just like a pastoralist, which is an adaptation of um, hunter and gatherers. They were living with God. They were living off the land. They had trust in the higher power. They believed, they trusted the gods because the gods hadn't failed them and given them an ice age that forced them to cannibalize their own kids and, and have incest and all that. Yeah. But these people that came out of the north were shell-shocked, and they started traumatizing everyone else, and that's how the trauma virus spreads. That's where Cain killed Abel. Mm. So Cain just came down to the uh, north. You're saying that's an allegory kind of? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm saying that it wasn't two brothers. It was the brotherhood of man. Right. And Cain was the god of the Old Testament, the vengeful, angry god. And the Abel was the god of the New Testament, the loving, Geppetto-like father. Mm. And so, because the people that live in abundance and there's no ice and there's mm. plenty of food and they can run around their underwear, they're good. But the people that literally had to survive and sleep inside of dead animals and do all this stuff you have to do oh, in the well, Ice Age, yeah. their idea of God, they had to play God. They didn't have any faith in a higher power because that higher power had let them down. Huh. And so they played God and those people are still playing God today. Huh. And so that's the trauma virus and that's how it's propagated. And so do you have this written or do you have that written down? It's, it's in the process right now. I want to take a look at that. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good. Like but that's where it came from and we've never gotten out of it. So when those people came into huh. the Fertile Crescent, what could have happened if had we had the awareness was, hey, brother. It's okay. The ice isn't coming back. You don't need to do that. Like, right. it's okay. You're in abundance now. You're okay. But they never did that. Instead, they over overwhelmed the, the, the Semites and turned them all into the agriculturalists and made them all become fear. They infected those people with instinct fear and made those people um, survive. So where, every, are you, uh, where, do you, where are you gathering the information on that that you have? From, from, from different books. There's a really great book called Ishmael by Daniel Quinn. Mm, uh, that's a really good book. And he talks about that. I just take it a step further because he talks about the takers and the levers, the origin of the takers and the levers. And he says, he says the takers. Ishmael by Daniel Quinn. Daniel Quinn. Yeah. Okay. And so he says the takers were able and they were, and they came out of the north. But I did some research, and I found out, like I found out, when the agricultural revolution started, and it was only like a thousand years after the ice age. That's not a long time when you yeah. think about it. And in the great flood that happened, mm -hmm. the great flood, in my theory, was all the ice melting. Yeah, and then it flooded all the things, and where England, the English Channel was landlocked with the rest of Europe, that became uh, English Channel. Are water. you familiar with um, like Graham Hancock? 
Grant Hancock and yeah. Randall, uh, yeah, Randall, Randall Carlson. Carlson. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. We did yeah, a lot of like he, Randall Carlson was helpful with like as, ascertaining some of the information for that. Yeah. So that's basically. I, I, I've been in, very into Graham Hancock's work for a very long time. Uh, so fingerprints of the gods mm-hmm. is a good book, and yeah, so he yeah, has yeah. those maps of like the, the the Greenland that are under ice now, but then yeah. around the time of Alexander right, the right, Great, right. there was actually Antarctica. land. Yeah, it was right. all exposed. So like that gets into like the question of you know, where the poles on the earth, if they shift or they move around, Mm because wherever the poles of the earth are, right now it's the North Pole and the South Pole, that's always covered in ice. So if the poles were to shift like 3,000 miles one way or the other, then that ice would move with them. Mm -hmm. And so, and that's possible. And the whole point of this is saying, by our calculations, we're due for another one of those kind of things. It's been 13,000 years since the last one. It could happen any day, but we have to stop living in anticipation of it. We're powerless over. Okay. That's the point of it. It's like, yes, we could we could continue to brace up against this and survive and stockpile weapons and be like, well, <laughs> but or but it's like, you know, or we could just say, all right, cool, that that's a possibility, but mm-hmm. I'm still going to live in the love and truth consciousness. Okay. So let's finish this yeah, up. Let's so, finish it. so the the last little bit. So you've just basically with that one pattern, you've now f- completed the triad of awareness. You okay. recognize the pattern that has undermined your purpose, your purpose of being a good communicator, your purpose mm-hmm. of maintaining uh, like a, a connection, feeling of affinity with other, your ability to remain free of fear of imagined danger or threat. Like, so you're seeing it, then you gained awareness of it by working to have a pattern inventory. And then you shared that with another person, which is acknowledging the limitations Okay. Of, that, of that pattern. So that's basically in AA language, it's the first step, it's the fourth step and the fifth step. Okay. So now we move into the second triad, which is the triad of desire. So in order for us to have healthy life affirming desires, we first must become curious about what other things are possible for us. So in the, in the respect of your particular pattern that you chosen, mm-hmm. you know, I asked you in the beginning, is it possible for you to be an authentic and effective communicator? And you said, yes, it is. Great. And then we went in and we said, here's the habit pattern. If you don't, if you continue to live in your avatar and you continue to live in fear and have this pattern be active, these are the kind of things you're going to create. And if it's not working for you, if it doesn't serve you anymore, if it's self-defeating and you don't want it, well, you know what you're going to get. There's no like it's that, that's the inventory. That's what happens when you're in that pattern. When you indulge in that pattern, that, that this, this is how your life looks and feels. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So we don't know how it looks and feels when we are actively creating a pattern of being an authentic and effective communicator. So the way the human mind works, which is really fucking mind blowing is if someone, and I'll give you this example. If someone, for example, has accepted the idea that they're ugly and you say, Oh, you're not ugly. Go ahead and look yourself in the mirror and tell yourself you're beautiful. That trauma avatar, that instinct, that protective part of us is going to force us to dissociate or deflect that comment because we already believe we're ugly. Mm -hmm. So if you tell me I'm beautiful and I know I'm ugly, I'm going to dissociate it or deflect from it. And maybe someone's tried to pay you a compliment that Mm -hmm. goes against the grain of your conditioning. Totally. And you notice yourself just kind of, or not even acknowledge them or freeze them out Mm -hmm. because it's protecting you from that because that's a threat to who you believe you are. Hmm. And so what we do is we start with the possibility mantras. So instead of saying I'm beautiful, we say, I accept the possibility of being beautiful. I, I accept that being beautiful is now possible for me. 
I accept that I can now be beautiful. And then we followed up with like, I just love being, I just love accepting the possibility of being beautiful rather than believing I'm ugly. Something like that. I see. So for this particular one, so, you know, we're basically, first we're cultivating the curious and receptive mind by saying, you know, uh, I'm cultivating a curious and receptive mind. I'm curious what it would like to be an effective and authentic communicator. I'm going to make my mind receptive to that possibility by doing these possibility mantras, which moves us right into five. So, and I'll show you this and then we're done for today. Okay. Um, so if you wouldn't mind going to page, Oh, where did, where did, Oh, sorry. This book's set up a little differently. If you could please pass on to habit pattern number, um, oh God, sorry about that. Oh, here we go. Possibility mantra number five on page 156. Okay. Okay. Possibility mantra number five. I accept the possibility of being an effective communicator. I accept that being an effective communicator is now possible. For me, I accept that I can now be an effective communicator. I just love being an effective communicator rather than being misunderstood. Right. Or you could say, I accept the possibility of being an authentic and effective communicator. And then the last would say, I just love being an authentic and effective communicator rather than being passive aggressive or misunderstood. Okay. But we're starting to make the distinction because when you're in the trauma avatar and you're fearful and reactive and you're indulging that pattern, you're being an, uh, a misunderstood and passive aggressive. And we're telling our brain and our subconscious mind, I just love being effective and authentic, period. Don't focus on the other one. I just love this one thing. So help me focus on the thing I love. And the way that I was able to be relieved of the cigarette smoking thing was I said, I just love being a singer rather than a smoker. And I tried everything to stop smoking. And I did this for 40 days. And then like on one day I got sick and I woke up two days later and it was like, my conscience was like, you're done smoking. It's well, been yeah. relieved of you. And since then I've made like 20 songs. I didn't make one song. Nice, before. really? Yeah. So I just love being a singer rather than a smoking smoker. Because it trains the mind, it begins to ready the mind to consistently keep concentrating upon this desired possibility. Because as long as we're focused on the possibility, this other pattern dies of neglect. It goes into atrophy and it falls apart and it breaks away. It, it dissolves and it goes into a dormant state because it's not being active. It might uh, be active. Oh, yeah. You might come later on like you and you, you, know, you get back with your girl and she triggers it. Like I have, my roommate was triggering mine pretty consistently. So I would like remove myself because she's not engaged in the same work. I am. She wants to stay the way she is. And so I go in on my days, but the rest of the time I'm not maintaining the same relationship dynamic with her because I don't want to be in my trauma avatar. And mm. she triggers me into that. I can't be authentic with her because she expects me to play a certain game with her. I see. And I don't want to play that game anymore. Yeah. It doesn't work for me. So. Yeah. So then we do the, the possibility mantras for like whatever, a month or two. And then we move into the alignment mantras, which is basically, that's where I say, I choose, I love, I am, God help me, God, okay. please. And then thank you, God. Okay. That's for the so, prayer. That's okay. where God comes in. So God comes in in like the sixth in this one. It doesn't come in right up front. 
Okay. Because God has nothing to do with all the first. God has nothing to do with, nor can God intervene with anything we've created because we have free will. We can create whatever we want. So that first triad, those first three measures, God doesn't even need to be in it. That's between us and ourselves. Mm -hmm. But then as we're moving forward, we're saying, God, here's these new possibilities. Help me to bring those into existence. And it's been my experience that that absolutely happens. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you have anything? To, oh, wait, hold on.